Our heavenly Father, we thank you that the riches of your grace are for all people everywhere. Uh, We thank you that you have reached us with this gospel news of the Lord Jesus. And we pray for us now that as we turn to look at your word, your Holy Spirit would be working in us, among us. Um, And as we leave here through us um, in showing us what it is that you have to say to us today. We pray for our brother Andrew. We thank you that he is uh, here this morning. And we pray that you would help him as he preaches and us as we listen for the glory of your name. Amen. Uh, Good morning, everybody. It's great to... Yeah, have a church full of people. It's nice to uh, be here again and see some people. And yeah, I would love to meet you all afterwards as well. Can you remember a piece of news which had such stark polarizing reactions to it? I remember back in the summer of 2016, the Brexit referendum, five years ago, believe it or not. When the results were shown, there was a big difference in reaction to it. Some people were celebrating and ecstatic, and others were mourning and sad. One result which divided opinion very sharply. A bit more trivially, I don't know if there are any Scottish people here, but uh, sorry to mention it, but they didn't have the greatest Euros tournament, did they? A defeat to Croatia the other night sealed their fate, crashing out of the tournament. And even though I'm Welsh, I won't mention the Wales result yesterday. And there was mixed reaction to it. Scottish people were understandably upset. But how did the English fans react? In Wembley, there was a great cheer when they heard that Croatia were winning. And sarcastic chants of, cheerio, 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 started ringing out. Very different reactions to the same uh, piece of news. But one of the most divisive issues the world has ever Uh, has has ever encountered is probably how we respond to God. Through the Bible and history, we have seen a massive range of responses to him, from overwhelmingly positive to overwhelmingly negative. And today we're going to see two very different responses. But first, a little recap of what we've seen in Exodus so far. So far in Exodus, we've had a lot happen We have seen the ruler who rescues. God has rescued his people from Egypt, demonstrating his power over Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods with the ten plagues. He then parts the Red Sea to rescue the Israelites and smashes Pharaoh's army as he brings it back together again. After all this excitement, they start to trudge through the desert, the wilderness. And as this happens, they start to get cranky and grumble. They grumble against God and grumble against Moses. They even start wishing they were back in Egypt, forgetting the slavery that they were in and the genocide being committed against them. But each time they grumbled, the Lord supplied. He supplied them with water and food. What a faithful God to an unfaithful people. And what patience as well. And God did this saving work for a few reasons, one of the main ones being to make his name known through all the earth. And that brings us to the section we're looking at now. God's saving work is heard by two different hearers, and their reactions to it are very different. And my first point is this. As hearers of God's saving work, 
don't harden your hearts. As hearers of God's saving work, don't harden your hearts. The first people in this section who hear of God's saving work are the Amalekites. News of the Israelites and their God will have traveled far and wide. And how do the Amalekites respond? They choose to to attack the Israelites out of nowhere. Uh, Why is this? We have no reason given, but a good guess is probably fear. Who is this God? He doesn't sound like good news. Let's attack his people so that we can maintain our autonomy, our way of life. Whatever it was, they set themselves up against the Lord. And in response, the Israelites defend themselves. Moses picks his young assistant, Joshua, to get their men together and attack the Amalekites. And whilst they're fighting, Moses goes up the nearby hill with the staff of God. Whilst the Israelites and Amalekites fight it out, Moses, Aaron, and Hur are at the top of the hill. And as long as Moses holds his hands up, the Israelites are winning. But if his hands are lowered, the Amalekites uh, start winning. He got so tired of holding his hands up, he got Aaron Hur to fetch a rock so he could sit down, and he even got them to hold his arms up. And with this, the Israelites win. Now, this is a bit of a strange account. What's this business with Moses holding up his hands? Well, I think the key thing is not his hands, but what he's holding with his hands. He is holding the staff of God. This staff was used by Moses to trigger some of the plagues on Egypt. It was used by Moses to uh, divide the Red Sea. It was used by Moses to strike the rock at Horeb to cause water to flow for the Israelites. Moses' hands and his staff are agents of the Lord. The Lord uses them to perform mighty deeds. And here on top of the hill, as Moses' hands are raised against the Amalekites, they lose. But when they're lowered, they start winning. With Moses' hands lifted against the Amalekites, it symbolically shows that the Lord has his hands up against them. Because when the Amalekites attacked, They didn't just attack a rival human tribe. They attacked God and his people. And in response, the Lord of the universe judges them. After the battle, he tells Moses to write down what happened on a scroll so that the Amalekites wouldn't be forgotten. Have a look at verse 14 in your Bibles. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Now, the defeat here isn't just a one-time physical defeat. It's an eternal spiritual defeat. They didn't just pick a physical battle against a rival tribe, but picked a battle against the Lord of the universe. Have a look at verse 16. Moses said, because hands were lifted against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. And God makes sure that it's written down so that we could see the eternal consequences of going against God. A blotting out from under heaven, from generation to generation. 
So, as hearers of God's saving work, don't harden your hearts like the Amalekites. Then there is another way to respond, and that's what we'll look at now. So, as hearers of God's saving work, worship God reverently. As hearers of God's saving work, worship God reverently. In this next section, we have another non-Israelite who comes, and he comes to greet the Israelites. Jethro is Moses' father-in-law, and he hears that Moses is in the area, uh, so he brings his daughter and grandsons to him. And it's a pretty happy family reunion, and Moses tells Jethro a summary of what happened to him whilst he was gone. Have a look at verse 8. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and about all the hardships they had met along the way, and how the Lord had saved them. Moses tells the story from plague one to the Amalekites attacking, telling Jethro of all the of everything the Lord had done. Telling Jethro of God's faithfulness his power, and his saving work. And the idea of God's saving work or deliverance comes up many times in this section. It's mentioned six times in verses 1 to 12. The fact that God has rescued his people is a big deal. And how does Jephro react to this news? He praises God. Have a look at verse 9. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro is delighted. He is full of joy as he hears about it and praises God. What a response. It's a big contrast to the Amalekites who came and attacked, setting themselves up against the Lord. Jethro came and greeted the Israelites and ends up praising God. What makes this even more extraordinary is that Jethro is a pagan priest. Have a look at verse 1. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses. He is a priest of Midian, a priest in the religious life of the Midianite tribe. He is a man who has worshipped another god or gods his whole life even becoming a part of that pagan worship, when suddenly he hears about what the Lord has done for the Israelite people and his son-in-law Moses, and he swaps to worshipping the Lord. It's an amazing transformation and points to God's amazing power in transforming hearts. Moses could have thought, ooh, my father-in-law is a pagan priest, He'll never believe in my God. I I won't bother telling him about what happened. But no, he does it anyway. Knowing God's name should be known, should be made known in the whole world. Or Moses could have made it about himself. I had this pretty cool staff which wreaked havoc on the Egyptians. I then parted the Red Sea so we could escape. And then I provided some water from a rock. But he doesn't. He recognizes that it's the Lord who has done these things in his life and gives credit where it's due. What about us when we tell people our testimony 
our story of being a Christian? First of all, do we withhold it from certain people who we think won't believe? Well, a pagan priest believe, so could your atheist friend. Or do we make it about ourselves and not talk about what God has done? Well, how will people come to know God's name if we make ourselves the focus of our stories? I think we can all be guilty of this. I know I like to talk about myself a lot. So I think it's something that we can all work on. So Jethro hears about the Lord's saving work and praises God. And what does he do next? He offers sacrifices to God and worships him reverently. Have a look at verse 12. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. This is another contrast, but to the Israelites. The Israelites' response to God's saving work so far is grumbling, complaining, wishing that they had died instead. Jethro didn't experience God's saving work firsthand like the Israelites did. He just hears about it, and already he has responded better than the Israelites. What a rebuke to those Israelites. And, excuse me, just a quick word on the second half of this chapter, uh, chapter 18, verses 13 to 27. I'm not going to say much apart from it's setting us up for how to live as God's people. God is the ruler who rescued us for relationship. We can't just respond once to God's saving work and forget about it. Our response to him establishes our relationship. And like any relationship, we need to work at it. And God shows us how we can do that in the rest of the book. But today, I want to focus on these two different responses. So we've had the two different responses to God's saving work. The Amalekites, they harden themselves and set themselves up against the Lord. Jethro worships God reverently. And this choice is true for all of us today. In response to God's saving work, we can harden our hearts or we can worship God reverently. And the saving work I'm talking about is not the exodus of the Israelites, which happened over 3,000 years ago, but the saving work for all mankind through Jesus Christ dying on a cross. Just like the Israelites were saved by the blood of a lamb at the Passover, we have Jesus, who is our Passover lamb, taking the judgment we deserve for the ways we have ignored God, hardened our hearts to him and set ourselves up against him. And in response to that, please don't harden your hearts like the Amalekites. If you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, there could be many reasons why. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe like the Amalekites, you're fearful. Is this God good news? What if my life actually gets worse? To that I would say, Jesus does ask changes of us, and circumstances in our life may be hard, but it is worth it to have a loving relationship with our God now, and which we can enjoy 
for eternity. I'm sure if you ask a Christian here, they would love to tell you more about the Christian life. Please have a think about what's holding you back. And please don't harden your hearts like the Amalekites. We see what happened to them. Eternal judgment from the Lord. And that's in store for those who set themselves up against the Lord. Please don't do that. Instead, as a hearer of God's saving work through Jesus, worship God reverently like Jethro. Repent of the way, repent of the way you have ignored God and trust in Jesus' death and worship God reverently. For those here who would call themselves Christians, does Jethro's reaction to uh, God's saving work uh, line up with your own? Are you still delighted when you hear about Jesus' sacrifice for you? Does it provoke you to praise and worship? Maybe you've grown a bit lukewarm to it. Or worse, have you gone a bit like the Israelites who complain about life and circumstances grumbling to themselves and others against the Lord. I found myself, as I was preparing this, being challenged by my lukewarmness to the news of God's saving work. I found that it didn't provoke me as it used to. So my prayer from this is that I would be provoked and delighted by the gospel, that God would change my heart to be more like Jethro, who delights in the Lord. And that's my prayer for you all as well who are listening today. And if you found yourself going a bit like the Israelites, uh, grumbling, please remember the magnitude of God's saving work, forgiveness of sin, freedom from death, and being able to enjoy this relationship with God forever. Life and relationship with God isn't always easy. It can be hard. But we have a God who is with us, who listens to us, who cares about our difficult circumstances, and we can trust him and speak to him all the time, whatever life is like. Whatever our situation, we have the hope of an eternal future with him. And for those of us who are trusting in Jesus, there is a picture of the future we're going to have in verse 12. Uh, let's have a quick look at that. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. Jethro, the foreigner, the non-Israelite, comes into the fold of God's people and has a meal in the presence of God. What a blessing. And through the Lord Jesus, we can have this blessing as well. With all of God's people, in God's presence, we will have a meal. With people from around the world who have different cultures, languages, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, together in God's presence. This is what history is leading up to. Be a part of it. It is open to everyone. So, as hearers of God's saving work through the Lord Jesus, 
please don't harden your hearts, but worship God reverently. Why don't I finish with a prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your saving work. Thank you that through the Lord Jesus, we have forgiveness of sin and eternal relationship with you. Please help us to respond rightly to God's saving work. Help us to not harden our hearts or to be lukewarm. Sorry for when we have. But help us to be delighting in it and to worship you. Amen. Thank you so much, Andrew. It is so easy, isn't it, in the Christian life that through the years our hearts get a bit harder and our hearts get a bit cooler towards the Lord and the gospel. That is, I'm sure, the experience of every Christian in different seasons of life. And a bit like Jethro turning up and and hearing the gospel and responding so wonderfully. Sometimes when someone becomes a Christian, as as, uh, this happened to me recently, someone's become a Christian, they've told me how full of joy they are about the gospel. And I've thought, oh my goodness, yes. uh, Yes, I should be as well, shouldn't I? Um, And just as Jethro, as Andrew put it, rebukes the Israelites' lack of worship, um, perhaps um, those stories that we um, hear of people becoming Christians uh, can be a bit of a, a, a rebuke and an encouragement to us to regain that first love for the Lord Jesus and his gospel. And if you're sitting there and thinking, you know, actually that does speak of me, as I was just then, you know, my heart does grow lukewarm, then can I invite you to treat this next song as an opportunity to be re-excited, re-enchanted by the gospel. Um, It speaks um, in words uh, of one who is devoted to the Lord. Um, I will glory in my redeemer, my life he bought, my love he owns. I have no longings for another. I'm satisfied in him alone. And you could hear those and think, can I you know, I mean, we can't sing those because of the law. But even if we could, could I sing that if I've got a lukewarm heart? And someone once put it like this to me, that we can sing words like this, even if only in our hearts, aspirationally, as those that we want to be true of us, even if in the place that we are right now, they don't feel true of us. And so uh, let me invite us all to stand and to use this song as a way to be re-enchanted with the truths of the gospel and all that the Lord has done for us through his son. Please stand.